Hey, we're about to get started. If y'all want to take a seat, we're about to get started. And while y'all are taking a seat, we want to introduce you to a new member of our Fellowship College team. Go ahead. This is Blair Sayla Barnard. I got to say, she might be the cutest baby I've ever seen. And just so you know, since she's been born, the Razorbacks have not lost a single game. Since she's been born, they are undefeated. So we're going to keep that streak alive, okay? So hopefully in a couple weeks, we'll still have that streak going. But that's Blair, Sayla, Barnard. And so if you see me and I look a little tired, that's why. Uh, but this week, we've got a lot going on. This Thursday night, we have a hoedown, a barn dance. Yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be really good. I'm from California, so all this is completely foreign to me, but I hear it's gonna be really fun, so much fun. You don't, you don't wanna miss this one. And uh, so if, if you don't have Instagram, maybe take a picture so you have the address. If you have Instagram or social media, we'll, we'll be posting all that, all the address information. It's gonna be so great. It's a great opportunity to invite lots of friends. You're not going to want to miss it. Also this week, we have something called NWA for the Nations. Okay, if you, <laughs> just as fun, maybe more fun. If you have never been, it is a great, great opportunity to kind of hear what God is doing in NWA, in Northwest Arkansas, to reach the ends of the ends of the earth to reach the globe. And so if you want to see kind of what, what they're doing right now and also how you can be a part of the mission that's kind of that's happening right now as we speak, this is a great, great opportunity to kind of to learn about that, to see how you fit in and each of you do fit into God's plans for the nations. And so it's a cool opportunity to do that. So please, if you have time, sign up, go to it. You will not regret it, I promise you. And last but certainly not least, we have one of our friends tonight. Jen is here to kind of tell the ladies in the room about a really, really cool opportunity coming your way. Hey guys, my name is Jen Jet Barrett and I live here in Northwest Arkansas. I'm having some flashbacks and nostalgia. I uh, was the MC for my college ministry that was this size, I'm not gonna mention how many years ago, but I miss that, and this is awesome, and thank you for letting me be here. But um, I run a ministry called The Well Summit, and I'm going to ask you guys not to check out. This is for the women, but you probably have sisters and friends that want to know about this, so I'm going to ask you to pass it on. But I run a ministry called The Well Summit, and we host two discipleship experiences a year in the mountains of Colorado called Camp Well. And I've been doing this for five years. We host two a year, so last month was number 10 and a year ago, I sat in a room of 42 women who were there, and I watched them experience freedom, some of them for the very first time, and they were ages 25 to 65, and I thought to myself, what if I had had this when I was 20? How would my life be different? 
And so I'm excited to let you guys know that we are hosting a very similar experience called Scout right here in Northwest Arkansas. It is for women all over the country. Um, we've got women already signed up for, from all over the country, but here's what we're gonna do. We're, we're walking through content that helps us unpack the things holding us back. So the lies, fear, negative comparison that holds us back from walking in the abundance Christ died to give us. We repack what's true about God and what he says about us. And then we talk about what it looks like to walk out faithfully and confidently in the good works he's prepared in advance. And we do this across um, a few months. There's content online that we've got right now. It's self-paced, so nobody's behind. Um, But it's in January, January 6th through 9th. And I'm gonna be here for the rest of the night. I'm gonna be back there. I have a table back there and some cards and information. And I would love to fill you in, answer any questions you have. Again, it's January 6th through 9th right here in Northwest Arkansas. So love to answer questions you have. But I am going to usher in the spirit tonight, um, lead us in some prayer and welcome the worship team. God, you are good and you are faithful and you are kind. And God, I am so grateful that we do not have to invite you here, you are here. And so we pray that our eyes and ears and hearts would be open to receive whatever you have. God, that we would finish out this year well, strong, confident, faithful, and humbly surrendered to whatever you have for us, God. I pray that in these next minutes, God, that we could breathe in your spirit and breathe out peace, even if just a few moments. God, you are here and we are grateful. And it is in your name we pray, amen. Well, church, it looks a little different up here, as you can see. So the thought behind tonight is that we want to kind of strip things back. Um, I've been hearing from a lot of you that um, I text with and uh, some, some of us on the stage here, too, that, uh, man, it's, it's a crazy time of year. We have a lot of stuff going on, and I know that a lot of you are probably overwhelmed um, with school stuff, life stuff. And so my hope is that tonight... Um, you get a, a fresh breath um, that this is, this is good for our souls to change things up. Hello. What's up? Uh, as you can see, Jack is our lone guy here. So uh, go Jack. Hey, in, in, the, in the future, um, we want to do this more often. Now that um, uh, we're doing, we want to do some more choir stuff. And so, hey, if you're interested in joining in and doing choir stuff, Men and women, uh, come find me after the service. I'd love to talk, um, even if you don't want to have a microphone in front of you um, helping lead. But we would love to have you guys um, help sing um, as part of the choir. So come find me after that if you're interested. I'm super excited about tonight because um, Garland's going to talk about one of his favorite topics. And it just so happens to be one of my, my favorite as well. Um, so we're in our reconstruction series. And we're going to deconstruct and then reconstruct creation what the Bible actually says about creation of the world, the universe. And so um, tonight, I hope that we are in awe of an almighty God that created the heavens and the earth. And so we're going to sing about that um, all evening. So let's, let's stand together. Let's think about how great our God is. How great our God, oh sing with me 
church, how great. Greatness, we're reminded how small, how insignificant, how sinful, how rebellious we are. And so let's take a moment. Let's confess that to the Lord tonight as I read this. Gracious and almighty God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear. Pray this with me, church. Set us free from a past that we cannot change and open to us a future in which we can be changed. Grant us grace to grow more in your likeness and image through Christ Jesus, the light of the world. Amen. And where you're seated, let's just bow our heads. Ask, ask the Father, the King of the universe, to forgive you of specific sins, the ways that we've rebelled against him. We've, we've rejected his grace and his holiness. Pray that he bring those things to your mind, and let's just ask for forgiveness over those specific things. Take a few seconds here. Savior, let us also be reminded that we do in fact have that Savior in Jesus Christ. We have an assurance of our pardon. The sin that we just confessed is cast as far as the east is from the, from the west. Hear the good news. This saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might be dead to sin and alive to all that is good. I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And together, let's say this. Thanks be to God. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
As you speak. 
Great Almighty God, God, we submit to you, and God, we are so humbled that you have not left us behind, but God, you know us fully and completely, and yet you continue to love us. May we be awed by your grace this evening. We love you. It's in your son's name. Amen. Hey, man, y'all grab a seat. Uh, welcome to Fellowships College. Uh, my name's Garland. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. So great that y'all are here tonight. We're continuing our uh, Reconstructing Your Faith, Reconstructing Our Faith series tonight. I thought I'd just start by kind of uh, letting you in on, on my life, my experience with this topic that we're going to be hitting on tonight. It, it actually was when I was in college, this became a very kind of pressing issue for me. And I actually went back this week and was, uh, went on Facebook and just started looking back at college pictures. And I just thought, since I let you into my store, I'll just kind of invite you back to, to me in that moment. This is, that's not what I want. Let me go back here. I'm giving away where we're going here. What's going on with this? We can go to stars. I like stars there. Uh, we can get back to the first slide there so they can see what I looked like. And there we go, there we go. So that's me and that's my wife. So that's, uh, we were dating then and I was leaving college and she was a sophomore because I'm really cool. And that's one of our friends behind us there. And uh, this is me in college and this picture I thought was appropriate. And as I was looking at it, there wasn't that many pictures of me from back then. Uh, it's on Hawksville Crag. We're gonna talk about creation tonight. And as I was looking at this picture, I started looking at other pictures uh, from on Facebook, and there wasn't that many of me back then, and I saw this picture, and I was like, oh my gosh, I've gotten fat. Like, I was super thin back then, and I started looking at other pictures. Let me see how big I got, and this is the, the biggest I could find. I kind of ballooned up there. Here's what happened. Some of you don't know this, but when, when guys, you'll learn this one day, uh, when your wife is pregnant, uh, they have all these cravings, and, uh, and so they're going, like, we need to get ice cream. I'm blaming my wife for this, okay? Uh, she's like, we got to get ice cream. She's craving ice cream. So then you end up getting ice cream, and then you end up looking like this. And it, what actually gave away for me, you saw the slide a minute ago if you were looking, um, I realized at this stage of my kind of body that I realized what body type I have, and the body type I have is this. <laughs> like, we have the same bodies, Big Bird and me. Just really take that in. I had borrowed these pants for a video we were shooting. I don't normally dress like this. But almost in every way, 
We have the same body. Um, so let me go back to this one because that's just, that's just frightening, really. Um, let me go to this one. So when I was in college, and uh, kind of my experience was I, I'm a doubter. I'm a skeptic by nature. I don't really believe things when they're told to me. I have to kind of have it proved to me. And some of you are like that. Some of you aren't. Um, but I, I went to college, and I hadn't really wrestled with uh, some really big questions about our world, really big questions about uh, the universe that we find ourselves in. And then I, as I got to the U of A, and a lot of you know I was an English major, but I, in Fulbright I had to take uh, some of these classes. I took biological anthropology and geology and geology lab, and I took uh, a lot of philosophy classes. And what happened for me was as professors were talking about uh, the, our universe and how it came to be, it didn't sound very much like what people back in church had talked to me about. In fact, it seemed really, really different. And then they started talking about how we can't trust this thing called the Bible, that it was, it was really kind of corrupted and it's been translated and we can't make sense of it. And that lodged in for me all sorts of, already I'm a skeptic, already I'm a doubter, and this created for me a series of years. I still have them. I had them one a couple nights ago where multiple nights a week where I would just lay in bed and I would just be looking up at the ceiling going, okay, I don't, I don't think I can believe the Bible in Genesis. And I don't think I can believe the Bible when I get over to like uh, the books about history in the Bible. And I don't think I can believe the Bible when it's talking about the Gospels. And I don't think I can believe the Bible when it's talking about Jesus. And the Bible's really corrupted and it's been translated a whole bunch of times. And I would just lay there with all of these doubts and all of these fears and it created for me just a flood of fear. And what it also created for me was I was thinking, I'm trying to live for this Jesus guy. Like, I'm trying to live my life a certain way to honor him. But if I can't trust any of it, then why am I not just doing whatever I want? Like, why am I not just trying to have as much fun, have as much pleasure, go to all the parties, do whatever I want, because I can't trust any of this. And as the professors and as the books began to talk about the universe and how it came to be, and I was hearing what the church was saying or what I remember from back in, in youth group growing up, something was just amiss for me. And I'm not sure if many of you, I would bet many of you in this room have had similar experiences. It may not be on this topic. Maybe it's on some of the other ones we're gonna talk about in this series. We find ourselves in a reconstruction, deconstruction series. Last week on Halloween, we looked at life after death. Tonight, we're looking at creation. How did this universe come to be? Next week, we'll look at the Bible. Can we trust it? And then the following week, we'll look at the church. And uh, in a world where the church has been kind of, it's kind of been exposed as, man, this thing doesn't work. It's a fraud. We're going to look at what is the church and what's its purpose in the world. Uh, we're going to be looking largely at Genesis 1 tonight. You can, you can go ahead and turn uh, in your Bibles. And we're doing this series not just for you doubters in the room, not just for you skeptics in the room. I'm, I'm assuming, I'm hoping that several of you in the room are like, I don't, I don't buy this Jesus thing. And we're gonna talk in a little bit. We're gonna go into the philosophy lab in just a minute and I hope that we can interact some. Uh, here's what we're gonna do as we go through tonight. Here's our, uh, I'm not really gonna give a sermon. We try to give like kind of talks or sermons. There. This is gonna be a little bit different. You're gonna, you're gonna have to go here with me. In fact, we're gonna stay in the stretch just a minute. Uh, we're gonna go into a classroom today, uh, tonight. Uh, we're gonna go a little bit philosophy lab. Some of you are gonna love that, like four of you. Then we're gonna go Bible lab. We're gonna go a deep dive on Genesis chapter one and take a look at what is it saying, bless you. And then lastly, we're gonna look at the life lab. So is this science versus faith? We're gonna do a little philosophy work. 
Then we're gonna look at the Bible. What is Genesis 1 actually saying? What's it trying to communicate? And lastly, uh, we're gonna answer the big question, why? Now, here's what I'd like you to do. They're, they're timing me, by the way. They're, they've got a bet on how long I'm gonna go tonight. Don't count this, it doesn't count. Would you stand and greet everybody around you? Just stand up, stretch your arms, stretch your legs, get a little stretch and say hey to people around you. Let's get some blood flow before we go to class here. About to go to class, let's get moving. Get a stretch in. All right, grab a seat. Here we go. Let's get to work. Let's get to work. Here we go. Burton is not wrong. This is one of my favorite topics, so we're going to have some fun tonight. As we, We're going to go classroom style here a little bit. Um, we got this QR code. This is the same one we used before our Q&A night a few weeks ago, if you were here. But here's what we added. I realized after that night, we, like 170 questions were sent in, and some of those were really good questions, but we gave you no way to communicate your name or your number to us. So we've updated the form. If you sent a question in a month ago and uh, we didn't answer it on the stage, uh, or if you've got questions tonight, go ahead and hit this QR code, let it just pull up on your phone, and if you have a question tonight, you can send it in and uh, put your name and your number if you wanna follow up with us, and uh, we'd love to talk over coffee. This is way more fun over coffee than sitting in a room with this many people. So have the QR code ready. It'll pull up a little form. Uh, if you've got a question tonight, just send it in about anything. We would love to follow up with you. So I'll leave it on there for a second. Uh, first, we gotta do a little philosophy work in the room. And I'm talking to all of you, whether you're skeptical or not. Let's go into the philosophy lab uh, for just a moment. The Bible is coming out of the gate with a very startling assertion. It's making a claim and the Bible's gonna be consistent in this claim that the world that we see, the universe that we see, from the macro to the micro, it has a creator. There's a personal being, a supernatural being who exists outside of the space-time continuum and has created all that we see. We're gonna see this in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bibles, over and over and over again. Here's an example, Isaiah 40. Do you not know, have you not heard that Yahweh is the everlasting God? He is the creator of the ends of the earth. It's not just an Old Testament concept. It's a New Testament reality, a New Testament teaching as well. We're gonna see as we turn to the New Testament that it's not just Yahweh the Father who is the agent of creation, but also his son, is directly involved in agency of creating this universe as we see it. Through him, this is through Jesus, the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. The Bible's making a shocking claim. Not shocking in the ancient Near Eastern world, but we're gonna see it has a rival claim today. That everything that we see was created. There's a personal being who has made it and brought it forth. There's an agent of this thing that we call the universe. And here's what's cool. We get to look at space pictures tonight. Here's what's cool. From the distant galaxies that we can't even fathom how much space there is in our universe, they're created. They've been designed. To the supermassive black holes that are really warps in the space-time continuum, their gravitational force is so great that it pulls in everything past its event horizon. 
created. There's a God who is the agent of its existence. Time out on black holes real fast. Interstellar is my favorite movie, okay? <laughs> number two is uh, The Dark Knight, Batman. And never, thank you, thank you. Uh, did you sneeze also? Okay, that was you, okay. This has been a very vocal row right here tonight. I'm just very appreciative of this row tonight. Uh, very interactive, so thank you. Uh, if you liked Interstellar, it's only talking to you. There's a book by one of the executive producers is a, is a uh, theoretical physicist, and he actually wrote a book on all the science behind Interstellar, and I've read it with my nine-year-old. <laughs> the other day, we were in the car, and Titus, my nine-year-old, asked me a question about black holes, and we had a fun conversation about it, He's a huge nerd. He gets it after his mom. Uh, there's something wrong with my wife. Uh, but if, go buy this, okay? It's incredible, this book. It'll just walk you through uh, black holes and how space and time works. But even the small things, like the way your DNA splits apart and then creates new proteins, all of that is designed. The scripture is making this claim that when we look at the universe, from the big things to the small things, the, the Christian worldview is putting, this era is supposed to represent, I, I'm gonna do some clip art tonight, it's gonna get pretty bad. Uh, so the Christian worldview is looking in on those things with a set of lenses. The Christian is putting on a pair of glasses and they're looking into the world that we see and those glasses are affirming that this universe was created. Now the statement, this universe is created, it cannot be empirically, scientifically proven. It's glasses that we put on. It's assumptions that we put on when we look at the world. Now, there is a rival, particularly in the Western culture that we find ourselves in, there is a rival conception of how our universe came to be. And here's what it's not. Let me tell you what it's not. The rival is not science. This is not a debate between the Christian worldview or faith and science. Because you know what that almost, almost always turns into? The people with science have data and facts. And we over here just have, well, we just believe it. That's not the debate. It's become a, it's a misnomer in our culture that this is a debate between Christianity and science or faith and science. That's not the debate. Science is merely a tool that enables people to observe and hypothesize things in their world. That's all science is. It's a tool. And there's Christians who use science. And there's other people who use science. So if the discussion is not between Christians and science, science is merely a tool, then what really is the rival conception of how our universe came to be in our world? It's this, it's the commitment to naturalism. What is naturalism? Here's naturalism in a nutshell. There is no supernatural explanation for anything. The natural world is all we see. And we may not know all the facts yet, but there's only a natural, material explanation for all that we see. It's a rival conception of how this world came to be. Now, hear me in the philosophy lab, and I may only be talking to like three of you in the room. Both the Christian glasses, that there is a creator to this world, and the naturalistic glasses, that there's only a naturalistic explanation. Both of those are not provable using science. They're assumptions that both camps make before they look at the data, before they use science. Here's, the, here's how they sound. The Christian worldview assumption sounds like this. There's a supernatural being who created all that there is. I can't prove that statement empirically to you. I believe it. It's a faith commitment that I am making before I even look at the data. 
But the naturalistic worldview assumption is the same. It is a faith commitment. It can't be proven using logic or science. And here's their assumption. The material or the natural is all there is. There is no supernatural explanation. Let me boil it down really simply. Every single person in this world, they adopt a worldview before they look at any of the data or any of the science or any of the things in our world, both macro and micro. It's our worldview. Everybody does it from the Christian to the naturalist to the Buddhist to the Hindu to the Republican to the Democrat to the progressive to the conservative. Everybody puts on a set of glasses before they look at the data, before they look at the universe as we see it. This is not a debate between faith and science. It's a debate of worldviews. Now, to, to my friends in the room, maybe you're a confessed naturalist or maybe you're considering it. Or maybe you're not there yet. You maybe grew up in the church and you were around the church growing up, but now you say, I, I, that looks better. That looks more satisfying intellectually. Let me, let me talk to you just for a moment, my friends in the room that are there. If you want to commit to a naturalistic worldview, let me ask you to be consistent in your naturalism. Here's what I mean by that. The naturalist is committed that there is no supernatural in the equation. The material is all there is. And the story goes something like this. I'm sure we're all familiar with it. Our universe as we know it, at least this universe, right now they're saying is 13.8 billion years old. As gases began to expand and then eventually cool, it created solar systems and then planets and then life began to form on this particular planet and through a long series of processes, we see humans begin, we see animals begin to evolve on this all the way to the point where we get human beings, you and me. And that's, that's it in the equation. Might I ask you to be consistent in your naturalism? Here's what I mean. If this is all that there is, then you and I are just animals on a random planet in the middle of this solar system. There's nothing special, dignified about you or me or anybody else in your, in your life. There's no good, there's no evil, there's no justice, there's no injustice. There's no right, there's no wrong. Good side of history, bad side of history. You are an animal on a planet and no matter what illusions you have about this earth and how valuable you are or your cause is, one day our star, the sun, will become a red giant and as it begins to cool, it will expand and it will devour this earth and nothing about your life means anything. Be consistent. What I see in our culture right now is we like what naturalism provides for us as long as we get to keep a lot of the other stuff too. Be consistent. If you're here going, man, I gotta, I gotta think through this. We would love to sit down over coffee. I would love to sit with you and chat through this. I promise you, uh, investigate. Be skeptical about your skepticism. But we, we're starting here in the philosophy lab because here's why. I, I fear that Christians in America right now, uh, and, and we felt this for, for centuries, they have this fear that it's us versus all the people with all the data. And that's not the case at all. So let's get that out of the way first. The second is this. What the heck is Genesis about then? Like I know some of you are like, okay, just get to the point. I don't care about the philosophy, just get to the point. We have affirmed the fact that God made everything. The scriptures, just teach, the scriptures teach that. But now let's ask the question, how did God bring about that creation? 
And to do that, you should have turned already. If you haven't, turn to Genesis 1, and let me read it for you. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Let's read it together. Bereshit barach Elohim et hashamayim ve'et ha'eretz. You happy? Now, here's why, here's why I do that. Every time I teach on creation, I either write this on the board or I read it. Here's why. When you read your Bible... When you read the scriptures, Genesis, John, wherever you're reading, you are having to enter into their worldview. You're entering into their way of thinking, their way of speaking. And sometimes even just putting this up here like this, that looks totally different. By the way, they read from right to left. It sounds different. Let me illustrate it to you this way. When you go to another country, you have this thing that you walk in there with. It's your passport. Don't lose it, ever, okay? You never lose this thing. And when you go into another country, you're gonna go to their customs and they're gonna stamp your passport. And then when you enter their country, you are in a whole new world. And by the way, can I just call, can I call us out on something as Americans? If you're an American in the room, Americans do a horrible job at this. When you enter into that culture, you're entering into their culture, their customs, their way of speaking. I'll, I'll speak for myself. Uh, three times I got the privilege of going over to uh, uh, East Asia. And if you know, just my personality, I tend to be pretty obnoxious and pretty loud and kind of say what I think. And that was very different from the places we went in East Asia. And it, to the point where my personality, just the way that I am, can come across as borderline offensive. When I walked in and got my passport stamped, I've got to realize I'm walking into a different world with different values and different culture, a different way of seeing everything. And when you read the Bible, you're doing the same thing. So let me make it really clear. We approach the Bible with 21st century American Western questions. And then we read the Bible or Genesis 1 and we say, answer my American questions. But Genesis 1 was written in an ancient Near Eastern context 3,000 years ago with some editing later. That's way different by a group of escaped refugees wandering around in the wilderness. We have to let their questions begin our search for what does Genesis 1 mean. So let's look at it. In the beginning, it starts this way. God created the heavens and the earth. It's the, the scripture's beginning with the affirmation that a spiritual being created everything that the author sees from the sky up there to the earth and the land down here. Verse two, now the earth, the land, the author puts us back at this time and says it was formless and empty. The two Hebrew words are tohu vavohu. It's a word play. And these words, they're meant to go together. They're meant to be read together. And here's what they mean. Chaotic and unordered, disordered. The universe, as the author conceives of it, this land as he conceives of it, needs to have order brought to it. Darkness, darkness is the place where you fear, where trepidation is. We need order brought to the darkness. And notice what we see. The spirit, the breath of God is hovering over the waters. Now let's get to the seven days. The, 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 the six days, the first six days mirror each other. They literally complement each other. Days one, two, and three. If you've never seen this pattern, check this out. It's really cool. Days one, two, and three describe the function 
of what the author is saying is being created or ordered. Days four, five, and six are God filling what he provided function with in days one, two, and three. You see the pattern? That's why you're gonna get light, but then sun, moon, and stars not till day four, because these are mirroring each other. And right off the bat, that's not what we're expecting, this sort of interplay between these days. Let's work through it. We're gonna do a little clip art here because I don't know how else to do this. This is way more fun on a whiteboard or on a napkin across uh, at a coffee shop table, so we're gonna try to do it with PowerPoint. It might be a little difficult. Let's look at the, the, the six days. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he called it day and the darkness night. As the author conceives of the universe he looks out into, he sees a cycle of day and night. It says God made that to function. God made that to work for us. Here's where this is different. In the Egyptian creation story that the ancient Near Eastern people are always in communication with, the Egyptian story has every night a battle in the underworlds between light and darkness. Who will win? And every morning we wait to see who will win. Not so in the Genesis story. In the Genesis story, God has created day and night. He created time to function for his people. So here's our, here's our first picture. He created light and dark to, to, to signify day and night, the function of time. What about day two? We're just gonna take the text as it presents itself, okay? I told you, we're going to the classroom tonight. We're gonna take the text as it presents itself. I think y'all can handle it. Here we go. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. What the ancient people think, ancient Near Eastern, including the biblical author, you walk outside, beautiful day today, you look up, and it looks like there's a dome over you. It looks like you're in a snow globe, right? When you look up, you go, this looks like a snow globe. And the ancient author has the same idea. There's a vault placed up there, and God separates the waters above and the waters below, calls the vault up there sky. This is day two. Here's day two. We've got our vault, and we've got waters above and waters below. Don't go 21st century yet. We're going to let the ancient Near Eastern author present the text to us in his own words. Look at day three. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place. He separates the waters below, and now he calls the ground land, and God saw that it was good. Notice what we're getting described here. God separated on day two the waters above and the waters below. Day three, the waters below have been separated, and we have something, that thing we stand on, land. Just we're taking the text as it comes. Don't freak out yet. Now, the rest of day three goes like this. God says, let the land produce vegetation, you're an ancient person. You hope not to starve to death. You need it to rain to provide crops so that you don't die. Where does that come from? Well, God makes it rain. God's the one who provides everything that we need. Plants and trees, and God saw that it was good the third day. The crops that we need to eat to survive, God has enabled those to function so that we can have life and sustain life. Now remember, day one, two, and three is the function and day four, five, and six is the filling. Watch this. What the biblical author is gonna do is describe the function, and then day four, five, and six, fill those things with things. Check out day four. God said, verse 14, let there be lights up there on that, that dome above us of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. Let there be lights up there. This is gonna be our sun and moon and stars God has provided those things up there, but notice why. 
These mark times and seasons and festivals in the ancient culture. We do the same thing in our modern calendars. They mark the passing of time with these certain festivals and harvests. And the ancient author is saying, God ordered that. He brought function to that. Here's where this is different. Hear me. An Egyptian looks up at the sun and sees that's one of the gods. And then they see the moon, another god, and the stars, more gods. But the Hebrew author looks up and says, God made all of that. They serve him. We don't worship these other gods. Let's keep working. He, he continues on. Let the waters teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of a sky. Remember day two, separating the waters above and the waters below? The things, the waters above have things in them, birds. And the waters below have things in them, things that go in the, in the seas. Fish and dragons. Yeah, ask me a question about the dragon. We can talk about the dragon in the Bible later. It's really pretty cool, the Leviathan. Anyway, verse 24. And then we get day six. Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. That thing that we live on, that has crops that come out of it, we also have other things that we eat on that land. They're the animals. And so it was so, and God made the animals according to their kinds. God saw that it was good. God placed on the earth I had fun with PowerPoint this week. It was, it was really sad, actually. I had one, actually, Ty Olsen had to help me because I couldn't get the, these are called PNGs, is that right? The transparent ones. It took me a while. I kept clicking on ones that had checkered backgrounds. It wasn't working for me. Um, anyway, the things on that thing created on day three, the land, we have things placed on them, the animals. And then it climaxes in this verse, verse 26. Let us make mankind, God says, in our likeness, in our image, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky. God put human beings on this earth. Now, here's the, here's the interesting thing. In the ancient Near Eastern world, there's the gods up there, and you want to appease the gods. And if there was any humans made in the image of God, it was the ruler, the king, he and he alone is the one made in God's image. Why? Because we were created in other ancient Near Eastern stories. Humans were created to serve the gods, but the king is kind of like a god, so we're his slaves as well. Think about what the, the ancient biblical author is saying. Not one person made in God's image, the king that we serve as his slaves. No, 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 no. Every single one of us, male and female, is meant to, image back God's glory. All of us are created to glorify him. We might say it this way. We were created as princes and princesses of God's creation to steward it well. It's an amazing claim that the biblical author is making. It's the worst chapter break in the Bible, by the way. The chapter 1-1 one, one should end at 2-3. So mark that in your Bible. Put a line after verse 3 because it's, a, it's the worst chapter break of all time. Those were added later, by the way. Uh, Genesis 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested and he blessed the seventh day. Now what's going on? This ain't God being tired. He doesn't need a nap. This is God coming and bringing his glory, his presence into the world he has made. He's literally coming to be with the creation he's made. That humans would experience his blessing and take that blessing out into the rest of the world. It's an amazing picture. Now, here's the deal. This is my clip art version. Let me give you a little bit more kind of professionally done. 
This is the, the, the picture that the author of Genesis 1 conceives of. We've got to check our passport at the door before we go and read ancient texts, including the Bible. It's answering ancient Near Eastern questions. Some of them are really profound. Like, which God should we serve? The author says, all those other countries and nations around us with all their gods, none of those gods are anything worship and serve Yahweh alone. How do we relate to Yahweh? He's made you in his image to bring his glory to the world. Whoa, not, not just the king, but male and female. Hey, by the way, that ancient idea we desperately need to recover in our modern world. Why do black lives matter? Because black lives are made in God's image. That's why. Why is it that someone that disagrees with you politically or disagrees with you about how we should understand the world, why does their life matter? Because it's in the Bible. That's what the Bible says. They're made in God's image. The person you pass begging on the street in God's image. This is an ancient idea that was radical then that our world now desperately needs. But I recognize you and I have some very different questions. Let's check our passports back in and come back into the modern 21st century world. When we do that, we have some of our questions. Questions like this. Okay, so that's all weird. I went, I went there with you, Garland. That's fine. But I just want to know, is the, is the earth old or young? And here's, how, here's how we're going to have to do a little, a, little, a little work here. I want you to follow here with me. Many of you you came in here tonight, and we're going to walk through a couple of theories of creation. And you're committed to the young earth idea. Here's the idea. God started creation day one, six days, and that time was relatively recent ago, like 6,000 years ago or something like that. And there are amazing, Bible-believing, Jesus followers that would hold to this theory of creation. And that's you in the room. Have at it. Like, Go research, go study, go look at it. There are some that would read Genesis 1 and say, this is what I think it is saying. But let, let me give you a couple of others. And this may begin for you uh, a journey. It's gonna take a little work, it's gonna take a little bit of reading. By the way, if you wanna just, anything on the young earth view, just read anything Ken Ham has written. Just Google him. He's an Australian. He'll talk to you for hours about it. All right, Ken Ham. I'm gonna give you each of these theories. I'll give you a book you can go look at and research and study. There's another one called the Day-Age Theory. It goes something like this. The days in Genesis chapters, uh, Genesis 1, the days 1 to 7, those aren't really like literal days. They're more poetic, and they could mean millions of years or billions of years. Just insert age for day, geological age, and reread it, and you've got their, their view. It, just for a book on that, you can read this one. It's, just in, it's called Intelligent Design. He tends to go with the day-age idea. If you've read Reason for God by Tim Keller, in his creation chapter, he kind of tips his cap to something like this one, but I didn't really say. The third one is this. It's called Historical Creation. Here it is. Check it out. Genesis 1-1 is God making the whole universe in the beginning. And then after some indeterminate amount of time, who knows, could be the very next day, could be millions or billions of years, in seven literal days, God made the Garden of Eden and put humans there. Okay, it's called historical creation. If you want this one, the guy's name is John Sailhammer. Isn't that an awesome scholarly name? John Sailhammer, and it's called Genesis 
Unbound. Uh, go get it. It's only, all these books are relatively short. That's why I gave you these. Uh, the next one's this. It's called The Cosmic Temple Theory of Creation. Sounds something like this. Genesis, Genesis recounts God bringing order and then coming to dwell in the cosmos, not an account of the material origins of the universe. This view is saying Genesis 1 is not saying anything about how our universe came to be materially. You want this one? It's called The Lost World of Genesis 1 by John Walton. Lame name right there. Here's the last one. A polemic view. A polemic is an argument against. So Republicans do polemics against Democrats and Democrats against Republicans. It's an argument against. And this view sees Genesis largely responding and reacting to other creation stories around it, like Egypt, Mesopotamia. If you want this one, this is a great title. In the beginning, we misunderstood. What a title for a book. Here's, here's why I show you this. Uh, I show you all of that because go on the journey. If you're in here and you're like, it's gotta be young earth because that's what real Christians believe, but you've never thought about it. Go research. If you're like, I'm terrified of the young earth view, but my, my parents told me that I've gotta be young earth or I'm a bad Christian, I'm compromising with a pagan worst culture out there. Take a deep breath. This might take you years to go on this journey just of researching and trying to understand what did this ancient author have in mind. Another question we have today is something like this. Is evolution compatible with the Genesis account? Like earlier, when we sang So Will I, and we got to evolving in Some of you were like, I'm not singing that. You just went silent. I can't say that. And just the word evolution is like saying the F word for some of you. Uh, is evolution compatible with the Genesis account? Well, it depends on which Bible reader, which person you ask. Some would say, if the, if, especially in the young earth view, absolutely no way. The earth is really, really, really recent. So evolution is not gonna square. Now, the other four have people that say, sure, it can make sense in this worldview, or absolutely not, we don't see evolution in this worldview. It depends on the one that you ask. If you got that question, you're like, man, I've got to know more about that, please let us know. But I want you to see there are people that follow Jesus and read their Bibles seriously that can affirm that question, yes, and others that would say, no. But you've got to go and wrestle. Did Adam and Eve really exist? I'm gonna give you a reference here. Romans chapter five seems to indicate for us that the historical Adam and Eve, that there is, a, there is an infection that comes into the world called sin through them, and that just to have them as a, a mythological kind of first type just won't square. And so did Adam and Eve really exist? This seems like one that serious Bible readers have to say, yes, we hold this to be a true historical person. How did that work out? Send in the question. We'd, you got to go wrestle. You got to go read. My favorite, what about the dinosaurs? We talked about a few weeks ago. I have heard, now this is, I'm going to make fun of this in a minute, okay? I heard a pastor at a church in Dallas uh, a couple of years ago when talking about the young earth view, uh, and he was, he was teaching the young earth view, and the questions of the dinosaurs came up, and he said it like this. He said, well, you know, lizards can grow indefinitely, as long as they live. They never stop growing. And so back then, there was no radiation that came into the world, and so lizards could grow and grow and grow. Dinosaurs. And I guess they missed the ark, or something happened after the flood. Can I just say, that that's really silly. Like, we know there's different species, 
It's not just a big lizard, okay? We gotta do a little bit more work than that. But if you're a young earther and you're here in the room, then there's, you, gotta, you gotta answer the question. They either missed, they were here relatively recently or God is testing us, something like that. In the other four views, you're gonna have some categories that the earth would be a little bit older and therefore, sure, there was a time when there were these things called dinosaurs that lived in our world. Now, here's our life lab. I promise this will be way shorter. Philosophy lab, the Bible lab, and now the life lab. Uh, why are we doing this? This long talk with all this just onslaught of information. Why are we doing this? Well, first, here, here's what. I hope that as a church, we, are, we take seriously the Bible that you run to the scriptures with your doubts, with your questions, with your cynicism, with your skepticism. Run to the scriptures. Number two, all of you in this room have friends that have some major questions about the Bible. You have to take that seriously. You can't be dismissive about that. If you wanna make Jesus famous in your sorority or in your apartment or in our city, there's people with real objections out there and we've gotta take those seriously. Here's the big why. Let me give you the big why. Uh, this is uh, a group of Christians. They, they teach their people to memorize this. This is their very first thing they memorize. It's called the Westminster Catechism. And I love this. Mankind's chief end, goal, purpose is glory. To glorify God. To enjoy him forever. That's why this whole universe exists. Glory. And you've been invited to experience God's good blessing and glory and to enjoy it forever. Like when we look out and see the vastness of the universe, we can look out and go, glory, because our God made that. It's amazing. And the next time that you see something incredible on this earth, glory, look at what he's made. That amazing sunrise, that amazing sunset, go experience it. When you're there, go, Glory. Today was a beautiful day, wasn't it? Especially after last week. It was, it's not that cold normally, by the way, Texans. All right, this is your first year. It's not normally that cold. Uh, glory. It's amazing. The things around us. Like if you had not been down to the Buffalo in a while or never, go. Don't go to class tomorrow and just go. It's gonna be 71. Go to Hawksbill Crag, hike out there and glory. Psalm 19 tells us, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, but they sure do speak. And their voice goes out into all the earth, telling the glory of God. This is me and my two oldest a few years ago down at the Gulf. And it was awesome, just glory. And uh, we went back uh, last summer and Titus and I were walking on the beach, and Hattie's my favorite because she's just so sweet. She's my middle one. And when, when she sees it, she'll be, like, she'll be like, look, look, Daddy. God made it purple today. And I'm like, you're right, he did. Isn't he awesome? He's so creative, isn't he? We were walking on the beach this past, uh, last summer, and Titus, my nine-year-old, was like, uh, he asked me some question about uh, the universe or something about the birds or something. I can't remember what it exactly was. And uh, I said, I said, man, man, but man, buddy, that's awesome. Isn't it awesome how God made this? And he made it so that you and I would be right here to see it and go, wow, glory. Isn't he creative? Isn't he cool? 
Now here's what's unfathomable about our story, the Christian story. Our story is that there is this God who's created this universe for glory that we might enjoy him. But that rather than soak in the goodness of his creation, we instead rebelled against him. And we brought this infection called all the brokenness and hurt and injustice and pain that we see in this world and we call it sin. And it's made a mess of our world and made a mess of, each, of our relationships and of us. But that John 1, 3 we read earlier, that nothing came into existence that he did not create, the word, Jesus. Just a few verses later, it will tell us this, that that God who made everything for glory says the word became flesh. Rather than leave us in our brokenness, he made his dwelling among us, chasing us down in his grace and his truth. What a story that we, that we tell. He chased us down, entered into the very creation he made that had rejected him so he might reclaim and restore what had been broken so that we might together say glory and glory in him and his redemption for us. So fellowship, I'm gonna invite you now. Let's glory. Let's sing. Let's give him back the glory that is due his name. Would you stand with me and let's sing together.
Psalm 47, this, this praise is written by the author. God has ascended amid shouts of joy. The Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to the King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing to Him a psalm of praise. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever be. Worthy of every breath we could ever be. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Sing Jesus. Jesus, the name above every other Jesus, the only one who could ever say, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you.
we get the privilege tonight of celebrating that glory that we're talking about through uh, life change and through baptism. And so uh, what baptism, what we believe baptism to be is a, an outward symbol of what Jesus has done in our life. And it's also, it's a public identifier that Jesus is our king and we're gonna follow him the rest of our life. So Ava, come on down. They were having a party back here uh, before we came out here. And so come on down. This is Holly. She's gonna share her story. Does it feel good? Yeah. It's good? Okay, nice. good, good, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is it on? Am I on? Is it working? Are we good? Hello? I think it's on. Okay. Yeah. Hey, I'm Holly Kessner, and it is just such a great privilege to be here, standing next to my sister in Christ, Ava Bedwell. And um, I've had the privilege to get to know Ava this semester in a small group, and it has just been such a joy to watch you grow and just learn. And um, what is even more exciting is to see a transformation in just life alone. And um, it didn't always start out that way. Last year was a struggle for Ava, and through a series of events, and even with the isolation of COVID, a lot of things that held Ava's identity were lost to her, and she began to be broken, and she began to search. And in that searching, she picked up a devotional that her mom had given her, and she began to read it, and that turned into conversations with her roommate, spiritual conversations, and then the Lord in his sweetness just began to place people in her life that were Christ followers, and in class, and in her environment, and she began to have conversations with them. And um, she began to notice that their lives looked different. And she just wanted to know more. And as she learned more, she opened up her Bible. And she began to hear God's truth revealed to her. And um, things that were unclear became clear to her. And she just recognized her need for a Savior. And she decided last March to just give the Lord the reins of her life and let him be in control of all areas of her life. Yes, so what y'all don't know is that many of you out here um, are an active part of Ava's story. You um, were obedient to share your life with her. You were obedient to actually share your story with her. And um, she is so excited now to share this with you and she's excited to grow with you in accountability and encouragement as y'all grow more like Christ. So, are you ready to get baptized, girls? <laughs> well, Ava, is it your story yes. that Jesus has changed? Well, you're very eager, and I'm excited about that. <laughs> Go on up. I got you. She nearly got baptized there all her by herself. So. <laughs> She actually did tell me. She said, I promise you I'm going to fall. And you were right. Yeah. Um, is it your story that Jesus changed your life and you want to follow him all the rest of your life? Yes. Right, it's my privilege and honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism. Raised to walk in the newness of life. And I will build my life
Because of Jesus, what we were created to be, princes and princesses of the Most High, has been reclaimed. And my favorite definition of worship is to recognize God for who He is and respond accordingly. We get to glory. And so, in the big things and the little things this week, would we do just that? Would we worship, recognize who God is, and respond accordingly? And we love y'all. Uh, Jen Jet's out there with one of my good friends named Stephanie. They'll be out there. We, they love to process with you about uh, uh, this, this retreat coming up. Uh, we love y'all. If you've got more questions, come let us know. We'll be two more weeks in our series. Have a great week, everybody. See you next week.